Hey everybody, this is Mark D, IT guy, uh, dad. Wow, I actually forgot my own intro. Hey everybody, this is Mark D, IT guy, dad, and generally bad movie nerd. And today I'm going to be talking about and watching Spider-Man 3. Now, Spider-Man 3 is not actually a good movie. I don't think this is a secret to anyone listening. I don't think it's a secret, period. But what, what makes it bad? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it again, and I'm going to kind of maybe try to distill that. Not that it's, not that it's awful or anything. Not, not, not that it's gross, not that it's incompetent, but it, it has its issues, and we have uh, Spider-Man's 1 and 2 to compare it against and other movies that have come after, right? So the interesting thing about Spider-Man 3 is that it actually came out just one year before Iron Man. And Iron Man, obviously, huge hit. Wild runaway train, never coming back. Keeps it going on a one-way track. So it, it's kind of interesting, um, but we will we will get into all these things. We being me and you listening, so us together, but primarily me driving the conversation, I guess. If you have anything you'd like to talk about, you can tweet at me, at CoolMarkD, Cool with a C, and Mark with a K. I'm at home, drinking heavily, and I am warming up an emergency pizza. So that's my life. I literally haven't seen the sun today. I've just been a, a low-functioning shut-in. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to watch uh, Spider-Man 3, starring uh, Tobey Maguire, the girl from The Virgin Suicides, and Crazy Beautiful, whose name I can't remember, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, James Franco, Topher Grace, yeah, Stanley Cameo, got it, boop! Okay, big deep breath. I watched I watched Spider-Man 3. This is a movie that I saw. And I have I have feelings that I have things. Um primarily feelings, largest feeling most prominent feeling is that this movie was a bit of a mess. This movie was a bit of a mess, and a character apparently just disappears by the end of it. That character being Gwen Stacy. Um, you know, she walks out on Peter, and she's gone, and there's no pulling her back in. She's just a strong, independent woman that don't need no man. And that's fine, but it's usually it, it's atypical of of this type of movie for this type of audience. Pardon me while I take a sip of uh coke zero i guess because well i don't i don't drink coke zero i don't like how it impersonates actual coke i'd rather take my uh, appropriate blend of chemicals that is diet coke the movie was a bit of a mess there are there are three villains one hero two bystanders or or maybe it starts out three bystanders 
two villains, one hero, and then it turns into three villains, two bystanders, one hero, and then it turns into two villains, two heroes, one bystander. And I'm not saying it's impossible to keep track of. I'm not saying it's indecipherable. It's very decipherable, and there's a lot going on that is good, but the overall feeling of it, the overall impression of it, is not good. And it's hard to quantify, good and not good. I might make an attempt, but I might not. Spider-Man 3 retains the, the PS3 aesthetic. Spider-Man, if you, if you recall, it was either Spider-Man or Spider-Man 2. Was it maybe Spider-Man 3? I'm going to assume it was Spider-Man 2 because Spider-Man 3 came out maybe a little too late in the game, but Spider-Man 1 maybe a little too early. I think it was Spider-Man 2 that was used to sell the Sony PlayStation 3 uh, blockbuster. And yes, there were still blockbusters in major areas at the time. Had displays, big displays with Spider-Mans on them and PS3s. And it's like, check out this fucking Blu-ray. Whoa. Like, get your mind hole gaped or something. I don't know. But that is the aesthetic that I associate. I associate the original bad fat PS3, the one that just yellow lighted on everybody. I associate that with the Spider-Man movies. I also associate Sam Raimi with the Spider-Man movies, but for Sam Raimi's purposes, not for any kind of generic marketing BS. So one of the cool things that they do in this Spider-Man though, is that in the credits, they recap Spider-Man's 1 and 2, or or 1, I guess. They, they recap some Spider-Man shit. But that was nice, and uh, I thought that was very inventive and clever. Really a good use of, of movie as a medium, where you can put these succinct little clips into a credit sequence that will, uh, if not educate a viewer, at least remind a viewer, right? I thought that was a very nice little touch. And I actually started to watch the the commentary tracks. And then I remembered, oh, I would have to watch this movie again two more times. And I, I chose to stop. <laughs> I chose to stop. But um, they did mention that the, the credits were designed by the same guy who designed them for Spider-Man's 1 and 2, which is nice. It's nice having that continuity, right? Uh, please forgive me while I take a sip of this uh, monkey shoulder blended scotch whiskey, or as I like to call it, ombro de mono, or mono ombro, if you will. I just like the O sounds in all of that, even though it's grammatically incorrect. Mono ombro. You can say it like you're from California, and you know, for Bakersfield, bro, mono ombro, and it, it totally works. Uh, off track, off track, off track. Right, so I also didn't realize that Bryce Dallas Howard was Gwen Stacy. I found out about that in the credits, so we're still on the credits. And holy shit, is this uh, is this score operatic? It was so 
the score during the credits is so dramatic and it sounds like uh, you know it sounds like a live instrumentation of some modern opera no vocals obviously but very grand and sweeping um and I, I i haven't looked into it and i said i was going to before i started recording but um you know time i was gonna look and see if anybody was involved in spider-man the musical there because there was a spider-man musical that i don't particularly care about but not for any real reason other than it seems insane but i also vaguely recall uh some really good buzz around spider-man the musical so i wonder if that was the inspiration right if this operatic score kind of got that out there or if it was you know a little more standard show tunes or or what the case was but i made no effort to find out um there are some good musical choices in this one there's one recurring song uh that's called they say it's wonderful that to my knowledge is a john coltrane and johnny hartman song and i looked it up and it was written by somebody else who i don't remember right now but i first heard it on the album john coltrane and johnny hartman which i i love to death um but that was a, a, a little bit of a formative uh musical experience for me because i was taking evolution of jazz jazz ebay i was taking evolution of jazz and uh, in college and it was really my introduction to jazz music in a a more formal setting so we got all types you know hot jazz sweet jazz blah 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 bebop all that and we had to kind of sort of at, at some point decide an album that we really wanted to get into and i chose this album i had heard a snippet of a song and i was just enchanted by it the vocals the the saxophone you know just it was it was really lovely and wonderful so john coltrane and johnny hartman really really nice album to just listen to so mary jane watson mj dubs is uh is singing this song she's in a broadway show and she comes down a big staircase and apparently the the staircase thing is a meme a broadway meme that i'm not necessarily uh party to uh they have it in sing as well my son likes to watch sing occasionally and and sing starts out with uh a sheep walking down a staircase singing a song and i'm just like sure bro sure whatever but yeah you know it's this really nice ideal idyllic montage and when they introduce jane franco's like they they it's ruined on purpose and i like that like he's at the show and he's being his francoist and stuff and it was it was cute um but they um shortly thereafter thereafter they go to his lair and that's a very uh very good darkman darkman-esque lair i feel like the preparation work on, on darkman has really paid off for the spider-man franchise and that was my phone I'm just, I'm typing, yeah, boy, to a friend of mine. So Darkman really paid off in like layer design, like Sam Raimi 
has a really good idea of how he wants to shoot the layer, how he wants to, uh, you know, track across. Oh, geez, my phone again. I'm going to have to put this on silent for sure. Okay, now we're going to put this on silent for real. So I was going on about... I was going on about how Sam Raimi illustrates a layer and he does it really good. It's like one tracking shot, but it has like all the information you need, all of it. It's like a computer readout, like weapons, the whole nine. Like these are, these are wonderful layer shots. And I mean, to be fair, Sam Raimi has been working at it for a long time, but to also give credit where credit is due, he might be one of the masters of the craft of layer, you know, cinematography. And I, I say that with all seriousness, like this should be an award that is given. So yeah, MJ, like kind of, kind of really soon off the bat is, is really needy. And I mean, I see, I see where the movie is going with this because Aunt May is like, well, Peter, you need to put your wife first. Oh, a good husband always puts his wife first and stuff like that. And I get that and I do that. But also there, like there's, you know, limits to everything, right? And MJ legitimately is going through a tough time, but she comes off in the movie as like the worst, as just obnoxious. And it's, like like an obnoxious MacGuffin, right? Because the movie doesn't it doesn't give her a whole lot of agency. She has her moment with Harry. I'm I'm gonna jump around the chronology. I'm I'm just gonna assume that you've seen Spider-Man three at some point. So there's a whole thing where she feels like or or maybe not she feels like, but definitely the impression is given that receiving the impression that peter doesn't care but peter he does but he's really caught up in in his own shit right so she's like oh i need a friend harry right because peter goes on and do, does some boosted shit where he just randomly kisses a girl on stage but it's not random because he actually knows that girl uh and i say peter i mean spider-man but peter knows that girl and i mean to be fair she's you know a nice looking girl obviously she's in the movie she's not hideous and this girl is gwen stacy and that's my actual watch being a piece of shit but i don't know how to silence my watch i received a hand-me-down apple watch and i don't know what to do with it i'm officially dad status i have technology that i do not know how to operate and i refuse to read the manual Officially dad status. Um, so, you know, she's really getting like these really bad signals. Um, and, you know, she, she comes across all of this information in a really bad way where they run into Bryce Dallas Howard's uh, Gwen Stacy in a restaurant, in a fancy restaurant. And Bryce Dallas Howard's like, oh my God, Peter's so great. And Spider-Man saved me and I kissed him on stage. Or, I mean, that is, you know, all that Mary Jane puts together. So, it looks really bad. Uh, Gwen Stacy is also ostensibly the, the, the younger, newer model of, of girl. 
And MJ's like, I need a friend. Like, I'm mad at you, Peter. I don't feel well. I need a friend. And then she goes to Harry Osborne's house. Harry Osborne. Meanwhile, in his first fight with uh, uh, Spider-Man CPA, Spider-Man CPA, has lost his memory because he got the crap kicked out of him. And Spider-Man's like, hey, bro, you can't die. You're my friend. Saves his life. Saves his fucking life for the service of a movie. Got it. Um, And they're hitting it off. And, you know, it's no secret that Harry had it for MJ for a long time, too. So that's kind of popping off. And she's like, oh, my God, this is kind of great, but it's kind of weird. And then she kind of, uh, well, I think he... I think the order of operations is that he recovers his memory because he sells a, sees a portrait of his dad. He's like, Willem Dafoe, you know, Peter Parker. And, um, did I do that nasal enough? Peter Parker. I held my nose for that one. Um, he, he, he kind of goes off on that and, he literally grabs her by the neck, shoves her up against the wall and says, you're going to do something for me. If you want Peter to live, you're going to break up with him. And she has to break up with him in the scene that has a uh, sad subtext because we know that she is lying to Peter to save his life. And and it's dramatic irony and the maybe more strictest sense of the term and that Peter does not know what the audience knows. And that's a fine scene, but nothing really happens. Um, I just made a sound with my phone. I'm I'm literally incorrigible. I don't know the meaning of the word. Um, so Harry's goal is to tear down Peter Parker before he takes on Spider-Man, and eventually. Peter gets Venom symbiote and the Venom symbiote. I mean, let me fucking, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I'm skipping over stuff, but that's fine. So the Venom symbiote, like what does that represent in the theme of the movie? It's like an, it's like an insecurity or like an envy, some, some kind of, of, intersection of these emotions right where you know the the person under the influence of this symbiote heavy quotation figures because it's a you know it's this like selfish selfish macho kind of insecurity right you know they they act boosted they act boosted because the the symbiote wants them to be because it, it amplifies right what connor says it amplifies certain aspects of the host and how he determines that by looking at the fucking microscope is beyond me but hey fucking sure man you go for it you're a goddamn lizard anyway played by reese iffens in the amazing uh or amazing too maybe but anyway you know, getting that insecurity there in the in the middle of a relationship is it's brought about by Harry. There's a whole in the in the first fight that Peter and Harry have. Uh, Peter has a ring that he's going to propose to MJ with, and 
Harry's like trying to get in between him and the ring. And it's like, oh, he's trying to get in between them and their marriage. He's like a third wheel and stuff. And we get it. But then it actually happens. But then they invalidate like the real feelings that Harry and MJ may have for each other. By like being like, oh, he got his memories. And he's fucking bad again. Like they, they genuinely had a moment. And they genuinely hit it off. And when you have a good love triangle, it is, or I mean a love quadrangle, because I guess Gwen Stacy's kind of caught up in this as well with uh, Eddie Brock, hilariously enough. Not even there yet. Um, but they have to be genuine. The feelings have to be genuine. Right? You can't just, like, nullify feelings. And that the nullification of feelings happens a lot in this movie. Um so between Eddie and, and Gwen, I don't I don't actually recall exactly what happens. I probably was fucking preparing food or or, or, or drink. Uh but Eddie is disgraced and loses his job. He's a scrappy Eddie Brock is a very scrappy kind of up and comer that's really trying to climb. He's really a climber and he heavily values the social currency and currency currency things like that uh whereas peter parker is just an honest guy trying to make a living and they're they're in contention for a staffer job at the daily bugle <clears throat> of which eddie fakes a picture and peter very publicly exposes him for it under the influence of the venom symbiote um so, I mean, if you had to do, like, diagrams of this movie, they would be very complicated. It would be almost Primer-esque. Because there's a lot of interactions between a lot of characters and a lot of plot lines and and wants and, and desires uh, that kind of go around. I think the only real constants are... J. Jonah Jameson and J. Jonah Jameson because J. Jonah Jameson is J. Jonah going to get what J. Jonah want. I I think it's obvious to everyone that I just I just made that up. But yeah, I mean, in this, there are, are wonderful cameos. Stan Lee has a very nice little cameo. Uh, Ted Raimi as always in the Spider-Man movies. Elizabeth Banks as well. Uh, even though she kind of becomes under the, the the thrall, I guess, of the Venom symbiote, so it's it, it's not the worst, but it's not the best. That um, so Peter Parker starts out being a douchebag after the thing with MJ and changes his clothes, and he starts doing his dance moves on the street, and the women are legitimately disgusted with him, and it is it is so perfect and so appropriate because. I've I've actually met people that think of themselves the way that the character Peter Parker under the influence of the symbiote like thinks of himself. And it's it's always been obnoxious. And seeing that thought reflected, I guess, back at me in in cinema and art felt very validating. But it's a it's a it's kind of like almost a pinnacle on a pattern of aggression. Um, Peter starts out small 
he starts off being like, oh, they love me. They love Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And um, it only intensifies there. And then when he, when he gets the, the Venom symbiote uh, bonded with him, it becomes way more intense. And he does bad shit. He kisses Gwen Stacy. I think even before the Venom symbiote, he's just like, yeah, lay it on me. Like, I know who you are in real life. And I know that my real life girlfriend is watching and I know that she real life had this real life kiss with me but I'm going to say lay it on me to a stranger to put on a good show right which is ostensibly the thought process here because he is considering himself a showman not a hero your friendly neighborhood lead actor Spider-Man And maybe that's part of the process to unraveling this is to understand the issue with celebrity and things like that. Like that kiss there felt very, that kiss felt very uh, inorganic. It felt almost like if it was an 80s uh, after school kind of special. And, you know, people are doing things that you, being a child, in a time period a little bit after would have been like that would never fly right like um okay like personal example like like oh the jock stole my clothes when i was showering after phys ed right like a no one ever fucking called it phys ed where i went to school b nobody showered we all just hit ourselves with deodorant cologne and bullshit and went about our, our fucking business because you know Showering in public places is not a thing that we traditionally did as a culture where I grew up. So, there's that. So that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like it didn't fit. Didn't fit, but, I mean, I see that the venom is like this growing insecurity in that relationship. But I also see that it probably it it probably would have been better if if mary jane would have gotten venom right because mary jane is the one coming out the gate pop pop with all these like angst all this angst all these issues all this darkness if she would have i don't know gotten on drugs and then snorted up like a venom symbiote and just fucking gotten monstrous i think that would have been a little more interesting because you could have had the ego of your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man versus this monster that maybe it helped create. Uh, there's there's a lot of different ways to take it, and this is a, this is a big budget movie, guys. I'm I'm not gonna. I'm definitely not gonna Monday morning quarterback this because it's a big budget movie. There was a lot going on, a lot of people to keep happy. Um, there was way too many villains. Um, I had heard that. They were, you know, producers were like, oh, Spider-Man had two villains. Well, now Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2 had two villains. Let's get Spider-Man 3 with three villains or whatever the case is. So I'm just like, uh, and my phone is ringing. Awesome. So I was talking about how it would be cool if, uh, Mary Jane got Venom, and I, I still maintain that. I'm sorry for the cable noise here. It's, a, it's an SM58. It's meant to be handheld, but 
actually has a not insignificant amount of of hold handling noise. Um, but yeah, that would have been nice because um, there would have been the insecurities of Mary Jane versus the ego of, of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. The insecurity of Mary Jane slash Venom versus the ego of Spider-Man. Uh, and I think I already went over this, not going to Monday morning quarterback it. It's a big movie. There's a lot of people to keep happy. There's a lot of money writing on it. So you can't always roll the way you want to roll. Um, so I'm not going to keep doing that. I'm not going to say like, oh, it would have been better if, uh, but maybe it would have been, maybe it wouldn't have been, maybe it would have been amateurish and worse. That is a distinct possibility. But I think the, the part that bothered me the most, the most was that at the club when, uh, when he takes, when Venom Peter takes Gwen to the jazz club where Mary Jane sings and he goes through this ridiculous dance routine. Like, so he, he jumps on the piano and he's like, this one's for you. And he looks at Mary Jane, but then he jumps off the piano, but he, he a knows how to play the piano. Right. And then he, he jumps onto the piano physically onto standing on the piano, jumps off it, jumps on a bunch of different things. Someone is still playing the piano for a hot second at this point. Who was that? That was so agile as so as to match Spider-Man's speed in jumping onto the piano. I would love to know. That is maybe the biggest flaw in this movie. Uh, actually, no, that, that, that's a joke. But it is a flaw in this movie. Um, and maybe it's indicative of the greater flaw of this movie, which is trying to do so, so much that at the end of the day, you would have been better served just doing less. And I said I wasn't going to Monday morning quarterback it, but this is the general consensus. And this is the consensus I came to as well. I was just exhausted. And I'm just like, why? Why have this uh, very operatic uh, deflator mouse plotline? Like, it's, it, it was more of a soap opera. Why are they even called soap operas? Why are they called soap opera? Featuring the lives of many... Uh, oh, originated from radio dramas being sponsored by soap manufacturers. So, a drama serial featuring the lives of many characters and their emotional relationships. That is basically Spider-Man 3. Oh, except for the serial part. But if it's not serialized, it doesn't, it doesn't carry the same weight, that the impact isn't long-lasting... I don't know that the things matter as much. I think soap operas are successful the way they are because of the way they are, right? Sandman? Why? why? Sandman was just like a save the cat. He's like, I'm a villain, but I'm not. I'm just a good guy trying to look out for my daughter. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church played really sad really well. He was just sad top to bottom, except for the part where Venom meets him up in an alley. And he's like, Venom's like, I want Spider-Man to die, man. And he's like, well, I want 
Spider-Man to die too so I can help my daughter. And it's like, no, bro. No. Like, help her mom get, like, a good job with, like, benefits or some shit. Right? <laughs> like, use your power for good. Use your power to boost up other people, not not take them down. So, I mean, that's kind of what I'm feeling about, about Spider-Man 2. Um, I like the bells scene where he gets rid of, of Peter, Peter Parker gets rid of the symbiote and, and Topher Grace acquires it. Um, I'd like that it is the two sides of, of a religion allegory, right? Which is the salvation of religion, but also the, the danger of religion or the, the threat of religion. What's the word that I'm looking for here? The. The caveat of religion, right? Where Topher Grace is like fully accepts this thing. He's like, God wants me to. And I mean, they don't sit on that too long, but motherfucker went to church and he's like, God, I want you to kill Peter Parker. So obviously, whatever comes of that, he's like, oh, well, God wanted me to. So it's one of those things where God wouldn't want to kill. And if you asked him nicely, he probably still wouldn't do it. So it was like, what are, what are these radical two sides, right? Which is like the savior aspect, right? Where Peter Parker radically believes in saving himself by ridding himself of the, of the symbiote. And then he is no longer a dark Peter Parker, but he kind of is, um, and Topher Grace, like, trying to be saved, like, help me, save me, solve my one problem. And he gets that help, I guess. I mean, he's, it, it doesn't, it's not accomplished, it's not executed. But he gets that help, right? So what is that saying about religion? And, uh, I mean, the, the Raimi, Sam Raimi productions usually have interesting takes on that. So yeah, I will I will circle back onto the symbiote and say that I, I really enjoyed the destruction of the oh the hero needs confidence cliche because that's really obnoxious and annoying. When you have too much confidence, you're you're that shithead asshole that that Peter Parker becomes with the Venom symbiote, walking around grossing out women everywhere he goes. You're you're a piece of shit. You're actual garbage at that point. Yeah, I mean, the thesis of the movie, we always have a choice. This Spider-Man movie is maybe not quite peak Raimi, but it's definitely Raimi. Um, it feels like a lot was put together here. or I feel like a lot was requested here, and I feel like a lot of attempts at accommodating those requests were made, and we know that they aren't necessarily successful because this is not looked upon as the favorite son of the Spider-Man franchise. So it's one of those things where it has a checkered history, has a checkered past, but it is what it is. Thank you for listening though. Thank you for sticking through the difference in sound. I know it sounds a little different, I'm I'm just I'm playing a little a little different. I'm keeping it a little fresh. Um, 
kind of sitting on my couch, kind of being in a bigger room, not quite so sequestered, being a little more confident. Whoa, not too confident, not venom confident, right? Maybe hashtag confident, maybe not. Um, but yeah, this has been Spider-Man 2. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do St. Elmo's Fire next. I said that those were, were paired up and they were. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to rock that. And hopefully it's a... I don't think I've seen that movie all the way through actually. But I know of the movie. And I know of the, the premise of the movie and the thesis of the movie maybe. Uh, maybe. So I'm going to see if that's true or not. But it's going to be interesting because St. Elmo's Fire was maybe a movie for the older generation, the, the, the brat pack that had grown up already. And I'm definitely grown up in that, in that context. So we'll see how it goes. Thank you for listening again. Tweet at me at CoolMarkD, cool with a C and Mark with a K. If Spider-Man 3 is your favorite, I would genuinely love to know why. Um, it just, I'm genuinely curious because it is not mine. But, hey, hit me up, fam. <laughs>